Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. and I'm part of the central service. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our series in Colossians chapter 3. Now, Colossians is part of a series of books we call the prison epistles. They were written by this guy named Paul while he was effectively in a lockdown. He was under house arrest in Rome. And while he was under house arrest, he wrote these four letters to churches, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And these four letters, for me, especially as a as a young Christian, kind of trying to figure out what does it mean to own my faith for myself, were incredibly encouraging to me for my spiritual growth. They were kind of like anchors for me, helping to form my young faith around the person of Jesus. And over the years, as I've continued to grow as a Christian, hopefully as I've matured as a Christian, they've continued to ground me and encourage me and remind me about what my identity is in Jesus. In Colossians and in these four books, I would argue that what Paul is doing is some deep discipleship. He's trying to help these young Christians understand not only what does it mean to believe in Jesus, but also what does it mean to follow him. And not follow him as like a kind of set of philosophical ideas, but follow him in a way that he is actually becoming their life, that this is a way of life. Paul teaches us that the Christian way of life isn't just, it's not an attempt to try and and be good enough to receive salvation or to earn God's love for us. It's a response to and empowered by God's love, which we have received as a free gift. So let's look at the chapter, verses 1 through 17, and see what Paul has to say to us there. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, 
as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. There are probably a number of things that stood out to you from those verses. Um, those verses could be about three or four sermons in themselves. Fortunately for you, I'm going to only just preach one this morning. But two things that stood out to me and kind of grabbed my attention are these, and they're kind of anchors in a way. The first is this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the second one is this, Christ is your life. Before we go on to look at these in more detail, I want you to think about what is an anchor? An anchor holds a ship, right? So when we're thinking about anchors of our faith, anchors that hold our hearts and strengthen our spirits, they steady us in the storms we have. In those moments, we have these two life-changing promises from these verses. The first is this, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Raquel Roten, who was the editor of DTS magazine, said this about these verses, and I thought it was so great. Your life is hidden with Christ. The phrase hidden with Christ in God means our life now rests safely, locked away in Christ. He is our life now. We are in Christ and we have all the benefits that Christ has as a beloved one of God. This alone opens up a treasure that changes our soul and our outlook in life. It reiterates the most important truth of our lives, which is this, we're bound to Christ forevermore. So the first anchor is this, your life is now hidden with Christ and God, your life and my life. But the second anchor is this, Christ is now our life. I don't know if any of you have watched the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. If you're a Brit, I would love to talk to you about it because I want to know. I think it's really funny. It might not be translated as funny. But anyway, Ted Lasso, for those of you who don't know, is about a football team in the UK called AFC Richmond, who hires an American who knows absolutely nothing about football to coach the team. And on the team, there's this character named Danny Rojas. And Danny Rojas is always saying this, football is life, football is life. His, for Danny, I mean, football is, is life. It's, it's everything to him. He lives and he breathes for football. Well, for us as Christians, Christ is our life. He is the center of all things, the one who gives our life meaning and purpose. He's the sweet fountain from which we drink deeply to be transformed. And for us, living lives of holiness rooted in the gospel is just not about different behavior. It's a fundamental shift of our identity. Christ has now become our life, and we are able to do what we could not do without him. Pastor and theologian and guy we like to generally just all quote from, Tim Keller, said this, and it was so, I needed to hear this this week. He said, when Christ is your life, then when other people come and criticize you, you say, well, you know, it hurts to be criticized, but my reputation isn't my life, and what they think of me isn't my life. Christ is my life. Paul is saying, be what you are. Take hold of what you really are and what you really have and live on the platform of it. Be what you are. Let the peace of Christ rule. If I were to pause and ask you for a moment, what is your life? Or what are the anchors 
in your life, how would you answer that question? What would your answer be to that? If maybe you're listening or you're here this morning for the first time and you're thinking that Christianity or faith in Jesus is just simply trying to live a better life than the life that you're already living right now, I hope what I'm saying this morning will be an encouragement to you that it's so much more than that. I hope my message brings you encouragement because what I'm trying to say is Christian faith is so much more life-giving and freeing than just better behavior. It's not a behavior adaptation course at all. It's a transformation of our identity, a life held by the promises of God. And we're told that when we trust in Jesus, we become new creations. The Bible uses actually this phrase, Jesus used this phrase, born again. None of it's by anything that we've done, which means we can't take any of the credit for it. It is totally and fully a gift, a gift from God. If we chose or have chosen to follow Jesus, we've been united with him in his death and his resurrection. All of our lives get changed, not just parts of our lives, all of our lives. If we have died with him, we have been raised with him, is what the Bible says in these verses. Our lives are now hidden with him and we will appear with him in glory. Therefore, Paul instructs us to live now as the people we are going to become, the new humanity. And this is all possible because of what Jesus did in the three special days that we celebrate as Easter. Now, just as an aside, I used to live in Florence, Italy, and on Easter morning in front of our main cathedral, the Duomo, they pulled out this kind of beautiful, ornate cart and lit off fireworks on Easter morning. Fireworks and champagne on Easter morning, I feel like should just be a thing we all do, but I digress. But going back, what Paul is talking about here in Colossians 3, again, is possible because of what Jesus did during Easter. N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament scholar, had a comment on this that I just want to read to you guys that I think is really helpful for us to understand this idea of our new identity. He said, we will never understand the gospel unless we see it as a great narrative, the narrative which finds its way through the dark night of the soul in the long years of Israel's desolation and then bursts out with new life on Easter morning. And of course, it doesn't end there. It only makes sense of having been launched. The new creation is then put to work in the world. That is the primary task of the Holy Spirit, to put into practice what was achieved and launched on Good Friday and at Easter. And though the Holy Spirit can and does work in a thousand different ways, of which we only hear the rustle of the passing wind, one of the primary ways that the Spirit works is, of course, through humble, prayerful servants of Jesus, whose hearts have been renewed and whose minds have been enlightened by the powerful gospel, so that they not only believe in Jesus' resurrection and hence in his victory over the dark powers on the cross, but that they become resurrection people, both signs and agents of the new life, which will one day flood the whole of creation. Resurrection people, the new humanity. It's who we are and it's who we are becoming. We're not waiting for Jesus to die and to come back to life. He's done it. We're hidden in him and he is now our life. So how does Colossians 3 open our eyes to ways of living as we continue to anchor our lives in these truths? We're not to live by the rules of this world any longer, but the rules of heaven where Christ is seated in power. This means putting 
to death and putting off old ways of living and acting. That's what he says in 5 through 11. And then putting on new ways of living and acting, which are in accordance with God's plan for us. This is a different kind of asceticism. This is different, actually, to the kind of asceticism that Paul talks about, if you remember, at the end of chapter 2, which kind of had this appearance of spirituality but lacked its power. Living lives of holiness rooted in the gospel isn't just about different behavior, right? It's a fundamental shift of our identity. But living under the lordship of Jesus doesn't just affect us personally. It also affects our behavior communally. It changes the whole way that we operate. And as we're transformed individually, it changes how we live communally. The church is one body. There are no, which according to verses 11 says, there are no longer divisions or ranking of people. There's no special saints. There's no people who certain people have exclusive access to God. Christ is all and is in all. And everyone is part of the family. And how we live matters. Have you guys ever been to a fancy dress party? Um, maybe totally gotten the wrong vibe? Or maybe you've arrived and been the only one to dress up. Now, when I first moved here, I was trying to kind of understand fancy dress as a concept. I didn't really get it. And so I was at a work meeting with some of my colleagues. We do student ministry. We work for this charity. And um, we were meeting our council. And I said, we should do fancy dress and go in to meet the council, which I thought, hey, it just shows we're fun. We work with students. It'll be hilarious. And finally, some of my British colleagues were like, we do not do fancy dress, Nicole, with the council. That would be inappropriate. That is not at all what we do. Paul, what he's saying here in these verses are there are some things that aren't appropriate for our way of life anymore. Paul says that we not just only need to take them off. We need to get rid of them. We need to destroy them and put them to death. We don't need those clothes anymore. They don't fit us. They're not right for us. Therefore, is what Paul says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you need to rid yourselves of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. My pastor growing up, he used to do this sermon like once a year called Don't Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was all about gossip. I both loved and hated that sermon. I'm just going to say in equal, in equal measure. But it was such a good reminder to me that what should be characterizing my life, even in my speech, mattered and was important to God. And I think, especially today, and maybe you would agree with me, kind of given the climate that we're living in, we would do well to give some attention to our words and the way that we use our words and the impact our words have on other people, and even what our words are saying about our Savior and about who we are. In one commentary I read on this, and I really actually appreciate this, Paul often uses clothing as a metaphor, which really speaks to my soul, I'm going to be honest. Um, but sometimes getting rid of old clothes, if you're like me, is a bit difficult. So over the past 16 months, I have attempted to go through my clothes and get rid of things, but it's super hard. Because I have things that, yes, I haven't worn them in a long time, but 
I just remember the great potential that outfit had, or, or maybe it doesn't really fit quite right, and I think one day it could, or sometimes I think, I don't know if I want to see someone in my neighborhood wearing that outfit that I, I really liked but don't wear anymore at all. Whatever it is, it's hard to put off old things, even when it's getting rid of old clothes. And coming back to this passage, one of the reasons that this is a challenge, and Paul says this in verse 7, he says, you used to walk in these ways. Now, this is a word that Paul uses often. And when he uses the word walk, what he means is something that was your way of life. It was a habit or it was a pattern. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me and you find yourself kind of caught up in habits and patterns that are really hard, it's definitely difficult to change those things but it's worth it. Sometimes it may be that we're able to take off these clothes in a moment of transformation. And sometimes this is actually gonna be a process, a series of small decisions maybe in the way that we talk about other people, how we act in our relationships. These small decisions can lead to significant life change as we make, as we make them with the wisdom and the help of the spirit. Course-like steps could be really helpful for that or being part of a community. Instead, Paul says we need to dress right. We need to understand the context that we're in. And our context is this, our life has been hidden with God in Christ. Christ is our life. So we have new clothes to wear. I think this is one of the most gorgeous passages in scripture when Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion. One translation I read says, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And over all of these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Again, as I look at this list, I keep thinking about the current cultural moment that we're living in. And I just imagine how different the world around me would be sometimes if these actions and attitudes characterized what's happening not just in my life, but in the lives of other people, and how they would be different, how everything would be different if we were living these out, not just corporately, not just communally, but even individually. I used to have a counselor, um, and she would always end her calls with me with this phrase, Nicole, be kind to yourself, because it's really easy for me not to be. I would be different if I was living these things out in my own life. By the power of the Spirit, our calling is to be resurrection people, looking to Jesus and under his guidance and commission, bringing true signs of renewal into his creation today and every day. Living a life with Jesus at the center where we're actively choosing the clothes that we'll wear, putting off the old and putting on the new clothes. As we've studied this passage, I have kept coming back to what I want my life to look like after we come out of this pandemic. As I've read these words, I keep thinking, what do I want to be different about my life? What do I want to do or not do? Or even to use Paul words, what do I want to put off? And what do I want to put on? And just as the church in Colossae was being encouraged to live as this new humanity, I want to know where are the places in my life in which I need to live in new ways in ways that will lead me to life and flourishing instead of ways that will lead me to being tired or to worrying about how many people I'm going to disappoint or just living a life where I'm afraid to take 
risk, but instead being willing to see where God would lead me. And maybe it's been similar for you. I think this is a season for us to really think about what are the things that we want to reset in our life and do differently. This is what this passage reminds me of. The great reset that Paul is encouraging the Colossians to do, to reset their lives according to their new identity, which is that they have been hidden with God in Christ, and Christ is now their life. He wants them to be anchored in this truth. He wants us to be anchored in this truth, that Christ is our life, that is who we are. And because your life and because my life is now hidden with Christ and God, it means that all of my life is now under Jesus. And so as I'm going out living my everyday, I want to ask myself, how am I reflecting Jesus to the world around me? And how am I doing that in word and in deed? As we finish, I want to offer you some questions to reflect on this week. Is the truth of who you are in Christ anchoring your life? What do you need to take off? And what do you need to put on? As we take these questions, let's do as this passage says, and continue to be open to working this out together, to encourage one another and to teach one another, to build each other up and remind each other of who we are in Jesus and to help each other be well-dressed as Christians. Finally, Paul leaves them with this charge, and I think it's kind of his mic drop moment in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These words take us back to where we started. And in the words of the poet E.E. Cummings, this is the root of the root and the bud of the bud. All that I am, all that I do is by the power in the name of Jesus. And I will live my life giving thanks to God for it all. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.